Hello, my name is Eric Cowell, and I'm the producer of the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Here's Jason Elam and Ashley Robbins. Welcome in, everyone. Joining me again this week is an incredible co-host that uh, has been so popular with listeners that we're excited to welcome her back, Ashley Robbins. Thank you so much, Jason. It's such an honor to be co-hosting. I'm glad you're back. Thank you. I'm really excited um, to be a part of this in a new way. So, And uh, today we have Macy on the podcast, which I grew up with Macy. So I'm excited for that. That is very cool. And we're going to talk about purity culture, right? Yes, purity culture. And as I told you previously uh, in our last conversation, I'm not mature enough for this conversation. <laughs> and so I had to bring Ashley on to ask the 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 questions with words that I can't say out loud. And so, but we are really excited to have Macy Berry. Macy is a recovering fundamentalist turned transcendentalist. We're going to unpack that in detail. <laughs> she is in the pursuit of knowledge, true happiness, and radical change, and hopes to unveil the harmful elements of organized religion, especially the effects of purity culture. She grew up in the heart of Alabama and was raised from birth in the Church of Christ, Till she began deconstructing at age 19, where she began to study ethics and theology at various Christian institutions. Today, she's a wife and mother and hopes to help victims of evangelical abuse recover and continue to grow independent of organized religion. Macy, welcome to the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Hello. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I've heard Ashley talk about this for many years. So I'm just excited to have an opportunity to kind of give my perspective. Well, it's awesome to have you. And I'm looking forward to hearing more of your story um, as we share this conversation. Uh, I usually start things off by saying, were you raised in an atmosphere of faith? Your bio kind of answers that question, but will you tell us about your upbringing in faith? Absolutely. So I was raised in the Church of Christ. My mother took us to church. Um, at the time, my mother was married, but my father wasn't really um, involved in the in the church scene. So I grew up um, pretty fundamentalist Church of Christ. At the time, I was told we were more, uh, we were a little bit more liberal than most. I learned later that that, <laughs> that really wasn't the case. But you know, you're your traditional Church of Christ with uh, no instrumentation. Baptism is essential for salvation. Women can't speak in church. So that kind of environment. So when they refer to themselves as a kind of a liberal bent in the Church of Christ, what did they mean by that that didn't turn out to be true? So what my grandfather uh, referred to was that there were Churches of Christ and there were aunties, anti-Churches of Christ. <laughs> Um, the anti-churches of Christ were the ones that were head coverings, um, that did not have kitchens because the Bible never said have a kitchen. I, I'm not really sure how to It's like the Bible that. doesn't say have instruments in your worship. Or have a microphone or PowerPoints or... Right. Or air conditioning. Exactly. Yes. So right. those were the anti. So our liberalness was we had a kitchen and we had potlucks on Sundays. Wow. And y'all thought you were going to heaven. Oh, absolutely. The only ones. With a potluck. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. Well, I, can I tack onto that? The whole liberal also, we had to take communion every Sunday. I don't know why that made us more liberal because apparently conservative churches of Christ don't always partake in that every single Sunday taking communion, but we had to do that too. So correct. There's another thing. 
isn't it really interesting what makes us liberal or conservative right? in, in mm-hmm. our own eyes? Isn't that really strange? It's not very black and white, especially when you have so many like sub, what do you even call them? Sub genres of the Church of Christ or the Baptist Church or all these other things. So yeah, everything else Macy said is 100% correct for the environment that we were uh, born and bred in. <laughs> so Macy, tell us about the God you grew up believing in. Who did you believe God was? That's a great question. So God to me as a child, um, I thought of him a lot like I viewed uh, my own father. So, and that was sort of a strange situation. God was almighty, all-powerful, omnipotent, very scary thought, by the way, that he's seeing all of our thoughts. And it was a constant um, feeling of guilt, of vulnerability. And I was told that God was a, uh, a vengeful God. And it was almost like God was perceived as the angry father, which I think you've talked about before. And Jesus was his perfect, sweet mediator son. Then the Holy Spirit, we just didn't really touch on unless it was mentioned in the scripture. And then we're like, well, the Holy Spirit, he intercedes in prayer. And that's about his only duty. But that's pretty much my understanding of God and the Trinity. So at what point did you start to wonder if the faith of your upbringing was big enough to contain your questions? I would say that began at around age 18. I was a senior in high school, and some of the most uh, judgmental people that I experienced were within my own congregation. And I started to see as I was looking at colleges and looking at what my next step in my future was going to be, all of these incredible, faithful, loving, selfless individuals were not under this roof of the Church of Christ. They were under they were Baptist, they were Catholic, they were Orthodox, they were all of these different things. They were atheists. And I'm like thinking, wow, I never knew that you could be so good because I, I was never allowed to be exposed to you. I was never allowed to go to a church service. Um, I was never allowed to study your doctrine. And when I began to experience the true goodness that existed outside of my own walls, that's when I began to wonder, where do I fit um, in this world? Where do I fit in the picture of God? Um, and I began to venture out and have all sorts of conversations with all sorts of people. I know that helping people heal from the wounds, especially of purity culture, is big in your heart. When did you first feel touched by purity culture? And and can we define what purity culture is in your understanding? Sure. So purity culture, in my understanding, I'll start at the beginning. Of course, they don't call it purity culture because that's such a nasty term now. They they frame it in this beautiful picture. So as a young person, I can remember as a six-year-old being taught how to cross my legs and and wear dresses, but don't show anything and be very careful about how you sit as a, as a toddler. And just then I was taught, remember to sit like a lady, make yourself worthy unto God by creating yourself to be a modest individual in his church. Make yourself worthy. As a six-year-old, that was so confusing to me. And 
there started the element of fear. With purity culture, you as a woman are expected to be completely pure. There is no sexual contact. There is no sexual thought, no sexual encounter. And if you even put yourself in a situation where it could potentially happen, you are walking that very fine line of being unworthy. And obviously, everyone understands that purity culture also uh, consists of you waiting until marriage, and then you can have sex and you can do all of these different things. Pretty much everything's on the table. Uh, And men, men were expected to just be strong. And we couldn't dress a certain way because the men needed, needed us to be strong for them. That was my understanding of purity culture. Now, I believe purity culture is so much more than that. It involves everyone's sexuality. I think the LGBTQ community is so harmed by this. People that aren't even sexually active but may have a preference, they're already unworthy. I think purity culture is just so much more than we thought it was. But everything is so different for me now. But that, that's pretty much my understanding of it at the time. First of all, Macy, thank you for being transparent with your specific encounters with purity culture, uh, especially when we were younger and like bringing that to light, um, especially how it surrounded us as children and really um, infiltrated our brains in that way. It affected us dating going forward. Um, I was just wondering, do you still feel inclined to purity culture? Do you think there's any good to it? Do you think it's mostly bad? Like, can you kind of expand on that? I do think there are good intentions. But truly, that is about it with purity culture. I can understand how people shouldn't just run at the bit to just have sex with anything and everyone in front of them. But I don't think that's why purity culture was even created. I believe purity culture um, was a means of a way to control um, a woman's body or really just people's bodies. It was another way for men in leadership to just have another leg up. And, you know, it's, it's really, it's honestly kind of triggering to talk about because I think of, of all the men that put me down and shamed me. Um, I actually did get uh, pregnant out of wedlock. I was told that I had a bastard child and I'm thinking we're in, you know, 2020. Are we really still thinking this way? But we are. Yeah. Still stuck in that old mind, uh, mindset of truly especially it's heavier on women too. Like, cause like your husband really didn't get that backlash, did he? No, of course not. No. Um, he actually was welcomed as like, congratulations, you're a father. It's time for you to step up, you know, step into those shoes. What a, what a great experience. But I was looked at as to be just fully transparent as a whore. Um, because people said these things, you know, I'm not, I'm not just saying these words, like people really still, uh, think in this old fashioned way, you're a harlot, you're a whore. Um, your child is a bastard child. Uh, you doing this out of wedlock makes you unworthy. Now, Macy, because you did this, you are now no longer worthy of any help that a, a married mother would receive when she found out she was with child. Um, I was told that as well. It's just infuriating to hear. Really disheartening, honestly. Especially coming from a community where you're supposed to be like accepted and loved and like loved right where you are, no matter what that place is. Correct. Yes. Macy, I'm wondering in the circles of faith that you were in during that season when they're 
calling you horrible names and calling your child horrible names. Um, was there a lot of talk about unconditional love? Oh, no, of course not. Um, I think they bring up unconditional love when it's convenient um, for their narrative. But no, the love was very much conditional. Um, if anything was done for me, it was done out of obligation. At that time, I was living with my partner, Noah, and we were living in an apartment with a, another person. So we had a roommate, I had a child on the way where we were living on like the fourth floor of an apartment building. I had blacked out multiple times just trying to get upstairs. So we were trying to move into a house. Um, we were so broke and so lost and just needed help. And we wanted to make this work. We uh, made a GoFundMe to help us get a down payment on our house, which was like $3,000. We'd already saved $1,000, but we posted that GoFundMe and the backlash that I got because I brought this upon myself. Um, it was it was so traumatizing just to see how many family members and all people of the Church of Christ or of Christian faith that came to me and said, you are not worthy of help because of what you have done to yourself. However, all babies are wonderful and pure and deserve all the help and recognition, but it's a bastard child, but it's pure and we love it. It was just so conflicting and confusing. My goodness. I'm so sorry that you went through that. It's, it's infuriating and heartbreaking at the same time. Yes, absolutely. So while you're going through that, what are you thinking about God? What did that do to your faith? So... I believe that God looked very different to me in, at that time. And I believe that I found goodness in other people and that helped me to see God, but I saw no goodness and I saw no God. And truthfully, I felt um, at that time that I was just atheist. I didn't believe in anything because why would a God that wanted me to reproduce so badly um, due to purity culture, shame me for not having a certificate first? And why would he let people ridicule me and belittle me and and alienate me because of this? Uh, truly, I, I didn't see God as, as anything or anyone worthy of my attention if he was willing to do this. How long did you feel like you were in that kind of, that kind of wilderness um, of not either not believing or not being sure you believed in God? I believe that I, I was probably there for about six or seven months. I feel like through most of my pregnancy, I felt that way. Um, and also with pregnancy comes, you know, a whole slew of emotions all on their own and all of these difficulties and your life radically changing. Um, we moved from house to house, live with Noah's family members, and I was able to kind of see goodness in people again. It was just that initial shock. So I do believe it got better, but it never, it never was the same. I never saw God the same way again. Can I uh, flip the switch a little bit and ask something uh, about sex within like marriage kind of thing? Is that okay? Sure. Macy? Okay. Yeah. So, you know, they, they say we need to stay pure until we get married so that I guess the transaction is we're supposed to have like a great sex life after that. Like casual dating Correct. shouldn't be a thing. And like living with your partner outside of marriage is still pretty taboo, especially within the confines of um, evangelical communities. Wh what do you think about that? Um, oh, I think a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> go, go ahead and just, uh, I want to let you kind of run with that idea for a minute. Sure. Um, and forgive me if I go on a, a little bit too long, but I'd, I literally think that's what I want. <laughs> it's that's what we so need. funny to me that 
casual dating is frowned upon. Every relationship when we are 14, 15, 16, 17 is supposed to be it. Like we are in it for the long haul. We're thinking Puritan. We're thinking, let's get this done. Like it is just so funny to me. And then we have all of these people that end up getting married without having any sort of sexual experience or very little of it, who have not lived together, who have all of these different expectations within the home, for themselves, within their sex life. And then you get there and it's supposed to be perfect. You're just supposed to like mesh. Sex is great. You feel fine. It's not terrifying. It's not painful. You completely understand your partner. That is totally ridiculous. That is totally ridiculous. I, this sounds really strange, but I wish that I had had more sexual experiences with partners because to this day, I still have no idea who I am or what I want. And even beginning that journey makes me feel disgusting. As a grown woman within a marriage, I don't even know how to have that conversation healthily. Like you still carry Um, that shame. I still carry so much shame and guilt. And I even have flashbacks to if I used to think a sexual thought when I was 16 years old with a boy, I would just be like, think of the most pure thing you can or something that will make you hate yourself. And I would think of my grandfather, my perfect, sweet grandfather, whom I loved so much. Just think about him and make it stop because you're worthless. And it was that intense. Like, and now that all of that conditioning in my brain has gotten me to this point where I'm supposed to be in a healthy marriage and I'm having flashbacks to my grandfather and shutting off my feelings because I feel so much shame. It is, that is the harm of purity culture. It damages relationships long-term and it's very transactional. We are taught that we cannot cause men to lust we cannot have sex, think sexual, uh, think sexual thoughts, but get, get into your marriage. And then in order for you to receive kindness for your husband to give you income to support you, you can, your duty is to provide sexual pleasure for him or else he's going to watch porn or else he's going to cheat on you. There's no standard for the men. And that, that is the most infuriating part. Yeah. I agree with that a hundred percent. Um, and it's hard to, flip back over to like not having sex at all because sex is viewed as such a horrible and bad thing that leads to bad consequences. So even though you get married, it still doesn't feel right to have sex sometimes. That's how it felt when I was married. I still felt like I'm not allowed to do this or like I should pray after this. Like, yes, I should pray after <laughs> to become worthy again. Yes. <laughs> so bullshit. <laughs> yeah. So. Can we be uh, transparent about your situation when it came to sexual assault and rape? Absolutely. Um, okay. I really want you to tell this story, but I don't want you to tell it if you're not ready. Well, I absolutely appreciate it. And I, I'm at a point in my life where being silent is not an option because I want to let other people know that they're not alone and hopefully someone out there can relate with my story of assault and just just feel okay um, because it took me so long. In my sophomore year of college, I uh, began dating this person. I mean, maybe two days into meeting them, I went over to their house um, and things escalated as they normally would. And it 
turned into something that I did not want it to turn into. And this person was particularly strong, large, intimidating, just overall scary. If you saw them on the street, you'd think, I, I don't want to be around that person. And, you know, obviously I asked for it to end. It didn't. But because I had initiated it in the beginning, in my mind, I couldn't process that it was still rape when it happened because I kissed the person and I was at their house and that was my fault. The fact that it escalated, the man couldn't help it. How could he help it? Because I tempted him was my thinking. And for nine or 10 months, I was paralyzed in fear. I felt nothing. I was numb. I failed classes. I'm like... Borderline 4.0 student, I don't fail, but I just felt nothing. Once I began to walk campus that next semester, I began having anxiety attacks and I truly began to process what happened to me. I remembered crying no. I remember saying no because I was thinking, did I even say no? Does, does he even know that he did that to me? And I started, I wanted to make every excuse in the book to make it not real, but once I began to process, I broke down. I couldn't function. We tell men that they are so strong and they tell you, we are so strong. We can do anything. We can go to battle. Women, you can't do that. You're not strong enough. But when it comes to sex, they're not strong enough. They can't do anything about it. There's no way they could hold back. Women have to do everything to prevent it. And when it happens, it's their fault. We're unworthy. We ask for forgiveness. And I think that's where we need to draw a line and really reframe our thinking because men are so strong and women are so strong. But men, you have to understand that you are so much more powerful than your sexual urges because we want to tell you you're super weak and you're not. You're not. Because in my new relationship with my husband, if he even feels an inkling that I maybe am a little bit tense at all, it's, it stops He's intuitive. He understands. And it's not just because of my assault. He cares about me. So he listens to me when I'm not speaking. That's, that's where that has to happen. Yeah. The communication and consent quality was completely left out of purity culture, true love weights, things of that nature. Um, women mm-hmm. became the gatekeepers ultimately for uh, yes. sexuality and sexual experiences within reason, I guess. But thank you for sharing that story because I know that's really difficult for you. And as I've known you the past 14, 15 years, I've seen you grow up in this culture and then be haunted by it as an adult. And I hope that maybe our future generations will not have to carry this burden um, because we're breaking all of these generational curses and and breaking down what all of these yes. things are that are toxic within religious systems. And um, so I, I just want to thank you for um, well, sharing that story. Um, Jason, did you have any questions on that or anything that you wanted to follow up? Yeah, I do. Um, first of all, Macy, I'm so sorry for the experience that you went through. Um, I, I'm angry at men I'm angry at purity culture, realizing that I was a huge part of both. <laughs> um, obviously, I'm a guy, but I was going into public schools and teaching um, a curriculum for an abstinence-only education program that compl- you were right about good intentions. 
the intentions were good. We were trying to spare young people from heartbreak and from seeing themselves as damaged. But the message that gets sent is the exact opposite. You've got to guard this because if you lose it, then you are damaged. Yes. And um, I was I was a big part of that. And uh, I am so sorry that I fed into a culture that hurt you so desperately. And uh, as a man, I'm embarrassed that, uh, and as a former pastor, embarrassed that I literally taught people that women should not wear, you know, little two-piece bathing suits because it might make the men lust and be a distraction to the men. The whole time I'm claiming to follow this savior who taught men, if you look at a woman with lust, uh, pluck out your own eyes. Jesus didn't make it the woman's responsibility. Yeah, that's right. Jesus put it on the guy that, to, as you were just saying, be strong uh, in whatever way that that actually is required. But our culture totally scapegoated women. And I'm embarrassed and ashamed, and I'm so sorry to you and to so many others. I, I wonder what would you say today to a 14-year-old girl who might be listening, who's, who's uh, you know, their youth group's going to do the true love weights, purity ring ceremony, mm-hmm. and uh, you have a chance to sit down with her and give her a counter uh, message. What would you say to her? Well, firstly, let me just thank you for the apology, but I do think that we are all guilty, anyone raised in the church, for thinking those things and preaching those things. But what I would say to that young girl is your self-worth and and power and love and magic are already all within you, all of it. And you are already whole and you will forever be whole. Because as long as you are in this world, you are loved. And as when you are out of this world, you are loved because you're somewhere new. And that love comes from you. Don't expect your worth to come from anyone else physical uh, because it's not worth it. People will hurt you. Um, The world's going to hurt you. But find value within yourself because you are beautiful and you have purpose. And there are so many other people that need you that you haven't even met yet. And so many people that love you that you haven't met yet. So I, sex is just a part of life, but it does not define you. It does not break you. Um, so I would just say, just keep being magic and keep being light. What would you say to a young man in that same scenario? Well, first, let me just point out something I've noticed within fundamentalist Christian faith. That would be that anything good we do, we give credit to God, but anything bad we do, we give credit to ourselves. And I don't think that's a healthy way of thinking. For a young man who is, quote unquote, struggling with impure thoughts, please just know it is so normal. God made you to think sexual thoughts. God made you to think sexual thoughts. And that's okay. But just listen to people. Be safe. Ask people what they're feeling and just understand you do not have to feel guilt and shame and do not bottle up those emotions and those feelings because later on you will not know how to respect others, let alone yourself. 
that's what I would say to a man. I don't know if that would be helpful to a 14 year old boy or if he'd be thinking about like what's for lunch, but that's what I would say to him. <laughs> As a former 14 year old boy, no, they're pretty much always thinking about sex. But, um... <laughs> you know what? But can we talk about girls are too. The 14 year old girls yeah, are that's too. Not... Okay. I'm glad to know that. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't know that when I was 14. Oh, gosh, really good. Um, <laughs> But I've lately, one of the things that evangelicalism robbed of me um, during my younger life was the Harry Potter movies because Mm -hmm. they were evil and witchcraft and all of that stuff. And so I wasn't able to experience any of that. Um, And so lately, I've actually watched all the movies like six times each. And I've started uh, listening to the audio (laughs) books. And I'm really into Harry Potter right now. But there's a character in Harry Potter that reminds me of me as a teenager in evangelicalism. Dobby the house elf. Oh my God. (laughs) Who every time he thinks something bad about the family who serves his masters, he has to punish himself. And sometimes the master family reminds him that he needs to punish himself a little extra for the things that they didn't know about. And that's how I felt with impure thoughts as a teenage boy. You know, you've got a prompt, you've got a, I've got a fast. I've got to pray. I've got to read extra chapters of the Bible. Uh, basically slamming my head into a wall, trying to deprogram myself <sighs> from these impure thoughts. And Macy, I think you've given such a gift to any young man who's listening by just saying that's par for the course. That is normal. Mm-hmm. That's what's supposed to happen. We're trying to like dehumanize ourselves with yes. things that are within, I guess, organized religion like that. And that's a heavy task for a child that's literally coming into puberty with all of these natural feelings and desires. And I mean, I say it all the time. I think that pleasure is our birthright. You know, I mean, don't abuse it, obviously, but it's okay. Like, (laughs) I'm going to get canceled for this. It's okay to masturbate. It's a good thing. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing. And I feel like that translates into a healthy uh, sex life as an adult too. So there's so much shame around all these desires that are so natural and they're just part of growing up. There's nothing wrong with them. Sex is not good or bad. Masturbation, not good or bad. It's just, it's just natural and it's your birthright. Wow. Very good. Um, It's been a really interesting conversation. And Macy, I'm so grateful for your transparency on all of this. And Ashley, I'm so glad that you've been uh, with me to help um, keep the conversation moving. And it was 31 minutes into the episode before you said a word that made me squirm and want to crawl under my desk. So, um, and that was Ashley, not the guest. So good job, Macy. Um, you did. You, you got me. Um, all right. Macy, I have, a, I have a question though before we go. My kids... Um, Our oldest now is 19. We have two kids that are about to turn 18. None of them have ever had, um, you know, what you would call a serious long-term relationship because we wouldn't allow it. As they were growing up, we just were so wrapped up in purity culture that we just thought dating was off limits and we weren't going to do that. We're not going to play that game. We're not going to go through all of that. I'm wondering now, in light of your experience and all that you've been through, what will you teach your kids about dating and sex? So Noah and I have talked about this quite extensively because my son, Troy, is about to turn two. And we think when 
he's older and when he's grown, how can we make sure that he is not the predator? How can we make sure that he is the one contributing to a healthy lifestyle for himself, but also uh, respecting other people um, and whoever he's attracted to? And I think that what we will teach is to respect himself first and foremost, to understand himself um, in whatever form that may be. And I'm not going to use any squeamish words, but everything is good. Most everything is good in moderation. If you are hypersexual and you sexualize everything and you let those thoughts just absolutely roam free constantly, that's probably not a good thing. Um, if you watch pornography super excessively, you become obsessed. That's a bad thing. However, I want him to be exposed to everything because I want him to understand what is important to him. I want him to see how women or men, whoever he's attracted to, how they receive pleasure, how they receive respect, whatever that looks like. And I want to teach him safety above all else. I don't want him to be hurt. I don't want heartbreak for him. Unfortunately, heartbreak is a part of life. It's a part of the human condition in order to form you into a well-rounded individual and learn how to correct your own mistakes. So I will say that I will expose him to most uh, healthy things in moderation, but I will teach him moderation. I think when you completely restrict everything from an individual is when they begin to rebel, retaliate, resent, all of those things. And I want Troy to fully trust us and come to us with any questions. And if and sex not feel like an icky word or an icky feeling. I want him to feel whole and natural um, and human. So that's how I hope to approach it. That's awesome. I, I love that mindset. And I love the way that you already have so much respect for your son's uh, agency as a human, you know, and how, I don't know, I, I sometimes I feel like we think of children as beneath us and need to be controlled. And you're already looking at how can you set him free? And I love that. That's fantastic. Well, it's been a long road. Um, I, I think sometimes, God, why did you pick me to break this curse? Because it's hard and going against the grain makes a lot of en enemies. But um, I'm just really happy to provide this freedom for him and for other generations. So what is a fundamentalist turned transcendentalist? <laughs> <laughs> I was literally about to ask that too, if you could expand on that, because I'm not even sure like what that means. Uh, so to keep this as simple as possible. I think we understand fundamentalist, which is the way that we grew up, super right-wing conservative uh, situation. With transcendentalism, I just resonate with that um, ideology a lot. I think Henry David Thoreau, um, he wrote a lot about how we are interconnected through nature. By spending time in nature and spending time in earth, we can fully understand ourselves and see how we fit into the artwork of the world and the universe. And in that way of thinking, I've been able to respect myself a lot more. I see myself as part of, part of the, the, what would you say, the weave part of um, uh, the whole project. And when I think about nature, I have this reverence, I have this respect and, and this awe that I feel. And when I put myself in that situation, I think, wow, 
I'm pretty amazing too. And with fundamentalism, I was never allowed to think that. It's constantly an unworthy feeling. And how do I become worthy? But I feel like with this new way of thinking, I am worthy and I fit into this and I'm beautiful. And how can I contribute to making this world greener, to making it better, to healthier? How can I grow? And I think that, you know, as other things grow in nature, we help other people and other things grow. So that's just, that's how I think about it. Call me a hippie or whatever, but (laughs) I just, I really resonate with that way of thinking. I love that. Hippies are some of my favorite people, so (laughs) you will get no judgment there. Damn, that's beautiful. Um, I love that too, Macy. I think I'm on that same track too. I mean, there's something about nature that really does um, resonate in our souls on purpose too. This is nothing that's coincidental. Oh, certainly. Um, And with everything becoming, well, it's been this way, but so industrial and everything is, how can I make this more convenient? So we have Mm. these machines and these (laughs) the smoke and the the factories and everything to make everything more convenient to meet more people's needs. And I think we've, we've truly lost sight of like the true human condition in our presence in nature itself. So try anyone who's listening, just if you're feeling confused and anxious, go like sit by a pond. Think about life. Go sniff a flower. You'll probably feel better. Um, Spending all this time around screens and other people's opinions and all of the drama, just go sniff a flower. Can I share something real quick that I've actually been practicing recently? I go outside um, at least once or twice a week just barefoot and I just sink my heels as deep as I can in the dirt, like dig them in as far as I can. There's something very obviously grounding about that Mm -hmm. and spiritual to me. Yes. It's like (laughs) your roots are finally reaching to the center of the earth again. It's Mm -hmm. this whole feeling. Mm -hmm. So many of the Christian mystics talked about the oneness of all creation and how it's all connected. The wind, the trees, Mm -hmm. and the sun, and the earth, and humanity are all connected. And Christianity has been resistant to that idea. And we get called, you know, tree huggers or, Mm -hmm. you know, creation worshipers or whatever. But it really does feel like there's been an awakening. And there is a movement towards accepting this, this oneness of creation and how everything that I do impacts everybody else and everything that we do to the environment obviously affects everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important part of faith is um, understanding the connectedness of everything. And so I'm excited to see how we continue to evolve on that. Macy, I, I think you're, um, you're really onto something there. Well, thank you. Wish I could take credit, but... Yeah, Jesus was the original hippie. (laughs) Yes, OG hippie. Yeah. The OG. Um, All right, and two final questions for you, Macy. Tell us about the God that you believe in today. And if you can, tell us about the Macy you believe in today. Wow. Who are you? The God I believe in today. I don't know that... God has a gender to me. And that sounds so Gen Z. I don't mean it to sound that way at all. Um, I'm actually studying very vigorously the New Testament. Um, and it's just become very apparent to me how how manly it is. Um, how men were the most educated at the time. They were the only ones who knew how to write. Their perspectives leapt onto the pages. And I think that because of male leadership, God 
probably was perceived as a man. And I can have some theologian come and harass me later, but uh, I believe God is the goodness in the world and God is the light within the world. And I feel that God is within you and you can replace that God term with whatever feels whole and all loving to you. That's a very abstract way of thinking, but I believe that there is God and there's goodness within all of us. And I believe our purpose is to spread that goodness, if nothing else. Now, Macy today, Macy today is liberated and Macy today is excited and free. I'm not trying to describe an infinite being um, with finite terms. I'm not trying to shove my he God into a box and and try to fit in there with him. Um, I think it's so interesting that God is this all-powerful, unfathomable thing that we have all the definitions and terms for. I believe today that we're not meant to understand. We're simply meant to exist and to enjoy um, and to spread love and light. And I feel very free. And I know nothing. I know absolutely nothing. And I'm okay with that. There is something very freeing about knowing nothing. (laughs) Yes. And knowing that you know nothing. Yes. Right? I think it was Socrates. And they, they kept sending people to Socrates as the wisest man, wisest teacher, in the world. And he would say, I'm, I'm not the wisest in the world. I'm just the only one who knows they don't know everything. Mm, yeah. That's power. That's beautiful. Absolutely. Ashley, do you have anything you want to say wrapping up? I just want to brag on, on Macy for having the bravery to um, speak on these things that have weighed heavy on her for years. Um, Jason, thank you for giving her a platform to talk about this um, so freely I really appreciate it. I feel like she brings a lot of honor to unveiling everything that comes with purity culture, no matter how dark it can get. And um, yeah, I'm I'm just really proud of you, Macy, and uh, I'm grateful for you. Thank you. I'm so grateful for you and our friendship. And um, we will absolutely be friends forever. And that's that's a really powerful thing. And it was such a pleasure to meet you, Jason, as well. It's been a lot of fun. I think this is probably one of my favorite episodes that we've ever done. Wow. That's good. I, I, I hope that words are less cringy to you now. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm getting there. It's going to take time. I'm only 47 years old. Um, uh, but Macy, I really, I think you're one of the best communicators I've ever heard. And I'm really grateful that you were able to share so transparently. Um, I think there's going to be folks who listen who say, I wish I could talk to her. Um, can you tell folks how they can engage with you maybe online? Oh, absolutely. Um, anyone at all who, who wants to talk to me, I welcome you with open arms. Please talk to me. My name is Macy Berry and you can find me just as that on Facebook. You can add me as a friend. You can message me on Instagram as Macy Noel Berry. And I, I mean... I'm willing to chat with absolutely anyone. I'm also in the Facebook page, Your Favorite Heretics uh, discussion group. And I believe Jason and Ashley are both in that as well. So join that group. It is liberating and exciting to meet people who are free and think outside of the box. So you can find me in there as well. Awesome. Yeah. Your Favorite Heretics, for those of you who don't know, that's our friend's Derek and Rachel Myers. They're doing incredible things with that community. It really is a safe place for you to share your questions and your doubts and uh, to vent and um, wrestle with 
uh, things we used to believe and maybe we're not so sure about anymore. So it's a great place. Uh, we'll put links to Macy's social media and to your favorite heretics in the show notes on this episode. And Macy, thanks again. Ashley, you're wonderful as always. And I'm so glad that you took this journey with us. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Macy. I love you both so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Messy Spirituality Podcast. If you found it meaningful, please rate and review the show on iTunes or your podcast platform of choice. Join the conversation by following the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or joining our listener-exclusive Messy Conversations group on Facebook. Finally, check out Jason's weekly Pathios column at MessySpirituality.org. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back soon with another new episode.